0: Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you wait before the show is you're gonna leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend. And today we have uh, a multitude of people on this podcast episode, which is good. Uh, We got in total five individuals on three different microphones, so I'll let you figure out the math uh, on your own. But I will introduce our guest in just a moment. But first, I'm going to Give a little update for myself and let uh, both of our crew members who are on with us uh, give some updates on what they've been doing. So first off for me, um, looking forward to turkey season coming up in March. So we're going to start doing some preps for that and then waiting for some uh, late, late spring drawing results. (laughs) Fingers crossed on that. Uh, And then tonight, Will and I. Are gonna go target some tarpon after this podcast episode, so we'll we'll see how that goes. But uh, outside of that, I'll let uh, I'll let Will give his reviews here, or his or not reviews, his updates <laughs> as to what's been going on in his neck of the woods. Hey
2: everybody, Will here. Uh, not much has been going on. We've been doing a lot of uh, offshore fishing, trying to hit that winter bite for those big bull dorados, duraho- uh, pick up some black tuna, and maybe even uh, some wahoo. But as of lately, nothing too crazy down here. Put in tags for some black bear of the spring, so hopefully uh, that drawing will come through up in Oregon. And uh, other than that, just kind of enjoying the the cool weather finally down here in Key West.
1: All right, well, that sounds good. Yeah, fingers crossed. We're in the same drawings, doing most of the same fishing. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, see what uh, Corey? What are you up to up there in Pennsylvania?
3: Well, uh, the ice is getting thick enough. I think I'm going to be out on the ice this weekend doing some ice fishing, probably for uh, trout. So we'll, we'll see see if this, our spot gets, gets some thick enough ice. But other than that, and I can't believe you're talking about turkey season already. I know, it's, it's just around the corner. <laughs> so that's crazy. So it never ends. One, nope. one thing to the next
1: <laughs> yep and then uh i mean with that late bear too i think it's gonna roll into like definitely a lot of fishing in the summer and then right into the early parts of hunting season but uh it's good though we do what we love so that's always a big positive let's see and outside of that so got a hat to give away so as you know we've been doing a hat giveaways for reviews and basically it's a way for us to say thank you for those that uh punch that five star button and leave us a written review Uh, we do get a little notification and we combine all those and then through each week as we're in the studio doing recording we will go through and pick one of those reviews to read on the air and as you see we're going to give a quick shout out and ask them to Send us an email and pick a hat off the store and we'll send them the hat. So this is over on the Apple podcast and it says, listen, exclamation point. This is a great listen, funny and full of good knowledge and tips. If you love to hunt from Clo Lo. So Clo Lo, send us an email to What's at harvestingnature.com to uh, claim your hat. Go over and check out our store and our awesome selection of hats there. Let us know which one you like. So now, moving back uh, over to Harvest of Nature World. Corey, uh, any updates from the Adventures for Food podcast going on? Uh, we're still still recording episodes. Hopefully, by the time
3: this episode comes out, we'll have the first episode for the next season of Adventures for Food. So, some Yeah, good stories coming up. Looking forward to it.
1: All right. Well, I will now, since you know who's here partially, I'll let you know the other part of our party this evening, and uh, I'll go ahead and give an introduction. So our guests today have been featured in numerous numerous national publications for their recipes. You can see some of their work on Meat Eater, Gundog Magazine, Peterson's Hunting, and North American Whitetail. They also have a cookbook. Hunting for Food, Guide to Harvesting, Field Dressing, and Cooking Wild Game. It's available for purchase. And they also uh, manage their own blog, Food for Hunters. So, introduce you to Jen and Rick Wheatley. Welcome to uh, Harvest the Nature Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Hey
4: guys, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you on. Uh, it, it's, I see we, we run many of the same circles, and I think we have for. For several years, so it's good to finally sit down and, and talk with you both.
4: Yeah, it's definitely a small world.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, well, first, if you could, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself uh, so we can get to know you a little better, where you're from, where you spend most of your time, and kind of uh, your journey into the hunting and fishing world.
5: Okay. Uh, well, we're both from Southern California. I'm from Anaheim. And uh, I've been basically hunting, fishing my whole life. My father was from Nebraska and we'd come back here uh, every couple years. And so I got into that lifestyle. And uh, with my father, we'd go fishing all the time, uh, mostly hunting. We did just a little bit um, and uh, when I got older, though, that picked my interest even more uh, as far as what to do. Uh, favorite types of hunting? Um, gosh, anything. That goes for fishing too. Uh, anything, I love the challenge of it, but um, if I had to say there was anything in particular I did most is probably deer and really do love uh, upland hunting for birds and, and what have you, it's pretty good.
4: Um, so I'm also from Southern California. Uh, grew up pretty close to where Rick was. Um, we moved out to Nebraska about eight years ago Ah, uh, because I accepted a position with Nebraska Land Magazine out here. It's published by our Game and Parks Commission. I didn't grow up in a in an outdoor family, but my parents had me in scouting since a, you know since I could remember. Um, I was part of venturing during high school, and I did a lot of hiking and backpacking uh, up and down California. And then I didn't start hunting until uh, I met Rick. That was about ten years ago uh types of hunting I do, just I kind of just go with the flow every season, um, and I try to stay local. You know, deer, pheasant, that type of deal. Rick's more of the big game hunter in the family.
1: I, I've seen uh, I've seen some posts on social media where you both are sort of out on the same day but doing two different types of hunting.
4: Yes, um, he was deer hunting that day. And I decided that I didn't want to sit in a deer blind, so I went and I tried to look for squirrels. He was successful; I wasn't, but it was a nice day to be out.
1: Awesome. Those are always good days to, to get out and do stuff. Certainly. Um, so, sort of what what was the point in in your hunting and, and angling adventure where you decided to venture into the the wild game cooking realm of it? And, and do you? Do either one of you have a
5: culinary background? Not really. Um, you know, I, I, my mom, she's Mexican and when she would make her Mexican dishes, the, uh, s- stuff like that, that picked my interest. I don't know why, as opposed to the American dishes, of pot roast and fried chicken and stuff like that. And I always wanted to see, it seems like she was more involved with it. And she did most of it was just like from memory and that kind of intrigued me. I do like to eat, and uh, so I think it was just kind of a, you know, my curiosity was picked with it, and uh, and as a child, I used to watch, uh, oh gosh, this old TV show. It was called The Galloping Gourmet with Graham Care. I'd get home from school, and it would be on TV, so it was perfect timing, and he had quite the personality, and, and it's just something I just always liked. Rick's dating himself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say.
1: I've never heard of,
2: never heard of him. Never heard of
5: him. Yeah. I've
1: never heard of the show, but it sounds <laughs> yeah. it sounds entertaining. I'm oh yeah, I'm sure
5: there's stuff on YouTube or what have you floating around out there. But the guy was just a character. <laughs>
1: That's yeah.
4: It as for me, um, I actually started cooking wild thing before I even started hunting it. Um, because I met Rick and and I found out that he had a freezer full of wild game and, you know, he didn't really do much with it besides, you know, a hamburger helper and roast. I mean, he didn't have time. He, he, w- he was working all the time. And figured as a couple, it would be fun to just kind of take out some meat every Sunday and do a recipe. And that's actually how Food for Hunters, our blog, got started. Uh, this was around 2011, um, and I've kind of—we're still doing it now. It's kind of crazy.
1: I—I I think we started. So yeah, I Harvesting Nature kind of started up at the same time, and I, I feel the same exact way that you do. I'm just like, man, this thing just—it just keeps going, and it's—it's uh, it's a wild ride, but it's nonetheless—it's—it's uh, it's definitely been uh, a lot of good work and, and a long time put into it. So
4: yep it's amazing how how big it's gotten you know i mean i don't know back then hank shaw was doing it Mm -hmm. um and not really anybody else or nobody you know
5: that is as prominent as they are today that's for sure hank and scott layseth i think those were the two that i remember yep scott scott's awesome
1: and uh, I think Steve Vanilla had just came out with his first show, which was yes, on the Travel did. Channel. That was right about the same time because I remember being like, man, this is really cool. Like this guy's doing kind of what I'm doing, but he's like much more uh, involved with it than I am. So it's right. really great. Um, it uh, For me, it's been like a really positive thing to see uh, the growth, not just for myself or, you know, for you guys or a lot of the other, but just – just everyone sort of collectively and and the progression that's that's came from people really becoming passionate about cooking wild game
5: yeah that's been really good to see because it's something you either had your Midwestern people eating it and cooking it but um, you know you get into the cities and stuff you never really saw that everything was just supermarket food and uh, it was good to see now how they're reaching out and looking at what's being done out there with wild game and and uh you know wild foraging and what have you and getting involved with it in a good positive way
1: and I, I think people are getting more comfortable just to kind of venture out to outside of their comfort zone of the city or you know urban area and and get out uh you know whether it be like an hour or two out of town or people are traveling across state lines they're still trying to find some sort of source of wild food
4: yeah and definitely i mean that's that was our background. We grew up in, I mean, for a long time, we lived in Southern California and, uh, right, right in orange County, it's just solid city. Mm -hmm. And so we moved out here and it's, you know, life's a lot different. We live right, we live right on the edge of town, you know, just, yeah. Yep. So it's been great.
1: That's awesome. I, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I actually, uh, probably at the same time, the latter part of you guys being in Southern California, I was living in San Diego at the time. Oh, really? (laughs) From like uh, 2010 to 2015. Yeah, I was there. So just neighbors to the north.
5: Wow. Yeah, it's not bad. I used to go down to San Diego fishing out of the landings there for tuna, Dorado, Yellowtail, and what have you. So, Yeah, yeah. I I used to go to uh,
1: H&M Landing was kind of the one we went with, and they had some good boats that could take us out.
5: I mm-hmm. Used to do charters. I was at all three landings: H M and M uh, and Fisherman's and Point Loma.
1: Such a cool. It's it, and I like it there because you get out super quick and the water gets super deep really fast. You get a lot of good. You know, I'm over here on the on the East Coast now, and you do a lot of different species of fish than sort of on the West Coast. And actually, Will Will's in San Diego too. So <laughs> yeah, he's uh. I I like, moved
2: away this summer. I got. I got to Key West in uh, June, but it's been my last five years. So right when Justin left in 2015, I pretty much got there in 2015 and then left there in 2020.
5: Wow. Okay. (laughs) Well, they had a pretty epic bluefin bite this year down there. I wish I could have been there. I know. That would have been great.
2: Um, Yeah. I've been seeing the pictures and uh, it hurts me a little bit, but... Mm -hmm. I'm comforted, you know, by the tarpon and the mahi dorado fishing out here, and the wahoo is awesome as well. So, you got to find those niches and kind of enjoy where you're at and what species are provided. Right.
4: I definitely miss eating ocean fish.
1: <laughs> We're completely landlocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nebraska is not not too much oceanfront property
5: uh
4: yeah no none of that
5: (laughs) i think we're like the only state that's triple landlocked we're the farthest from any ocean of any any other state oh my gosh yeah Yeah.
1: i uh i so i'm originally from oklahoma and i I moved away from there when i was like 18 years old and i told myself i was like i always i'm always going to try to be by the ocean so um so far so good but we'll we'll see what the future brings you never know Um, right to change gears a little bit and uh, talk uh, about some some recipes and favorite recipes and and sort of developing recipes. But first off, to um, get kind of what are your what are your favorites? What are your go tos that you sort of make repetitively?
4: Um, geez, I mean, we keep it pretty simple: venison steak, a starch, a vegetable, you know. <laughs> day-to-day meal um we definitely don't get as fancy as you know you might see on our instagram every day you know i get comments all the time it's like how do you how do you cook so much as you do i'm like i really don't (laughs) i mean i i cook often but i don't you know get that complicated every night i I mean if we eat like anybody else
1: i i can definitely relate um i joke with with the majority of people that come on it's like you you see similar to to you guys you see a lot of photos and stuff but it's like maybe once or twice a week i'm I'm cooking a, a very uh decadent recipe but a lot of times it's just like we eat a lot of tacos fish tacos and yeah. tacos like just grilled meat vegetables and a tortilla and that's, that's oh yeah bad. I
4: mean both of us work full time so you know definitely can't get fancy every night
1: nope but um, so as far as developing recipes and, you know, I, I've seen a lot of your work all over the place and congratulations to you both on, on that growing uh, visibility because everything you do is really great. So what's sort of the some of the inspirations that you find behind the dishes?
5: Boy, they just come from so many different directions. Uh, you know, both our ethnic backgrounds uh, help a lot. Uh, doing that, uh, you know, Jen, with Asian dishes and stuff like that. I think that's one cuisine, though, that lends itself so wonderfully to a wild game uh, with all the different flavors and different animals that you can use. Um, gosh, sometimes it's as simple as a pitcher or, you know, some sort of inspiration, even watching um, some historical type shows. They'll do some old dishes from say Victorian times or something like that. And that will be an inspiration to try some sort of a meat pie or or what have you. And, uh, it really just seems to come from me anywhere, just from anywhere.
4: Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel the same way. I'm really into, um, historical aspects of cooking. Not that I can really talk about it, but you know, we, we like watching documentaries and something, sometimes something will, I don't know spark. Um, I mean, there's tons of TV shows on right now about cooking different dishes from all around the world. And that's always a great source of inspiration or, or, you know, on Instagram it's we're on Instagram and we follow so many talented people
5: and, you know, they inspire us all the time. sometimes just as simply as seeing a picture, it could be some other, you know, livestock or what have you, but we'll look at it and say, you know what, something like this, tweak it here and there, put, you know, some sort of wild game in its place, you know, and kind of run with it that way. And so there's a lot of different things.
1: I definitely can relate. Um, it, it's crazy sometimes. And then I, I end up going down like a rabbit hole sometimes too, of just like I see something and it sparks my interest. I'm like, I start doing a little research and doing a little research. And then now I'm like miles away from the original dish that, that sort of I found that inspiration with, but uh, still end up with something great. Just like man, it, it oh, took a yeah, lot to get there.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's the same for us, and I'm also kind of a proponent of just, you know, it's nice to experiment. It's nice to uh, kind of push the envelope a little bit. But you know, I, I a lot of times, a lot of my recipes, I like to cook what I. I eat, you know, in everyday life, you know, you take a, you take a recipe that's good with beef or chicken and you turn that and tweak it into something that would work with wild game, you know, and I, you know, and the o- audience that we kind of work with out here in Nebraska, they kind of respond to those recipes better than uh, the kind of high highfalutin stuff.
2: Yeah. I've, I've noticed that is coming. I came from central South Texas. And so, Growing up, everybody hunted, but nobody made fancy dishes out of wild game. It was all, everybody kind of kept to their own little family. And then all the recipes were shared at deer camp over either an open fire or, but everything was really simplistic and it's been being cooked for, you know, generations. So that's, that's how I grew great. up. And uh, we loved it. But now that the Internet's out, you get to see all these cool new inspirations and Instagram and, you know, companies like y'all's that are putting out great content. And it it kind of blows my mind sometimes how first it's how wild game is and how it can fit into all these things. But, you know, just like what you were saying, I always fall back on the simplistic recipes, though, and just kind of just appreciate the base flavors of the game.
4: Right. And, you know, this is a lifestyle you know, you want to, you want to make dishes that you can replicate, you know, on a weekly basis or whatever, so that other people can do it too. And
5: that's a part of, you know, why we do some of the recipes we do. Yeah. I think if you look through our recipes overall, you go to the website and just kind of look down the line or even the newer ones, a lot of the newer ones are being, you know, going to the magazines and other publications and, and uh you know shows and what have you but everything is pretty simple we don't want to make it where you know the average person out there look at it's like what are they talking about you know having to get to that it's just something i think most people would be able to understand and and replicate in their own kitchen at least most things not all most (laughs) there's
4: some things that i do for myself that's for sure (laughs) 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I can get behind that. I, I made a, it was like a cheesy venison, almost like hamburger helper the other day. And I was just like, oh, man. It, it took me back to being in college and eating hamburger helper three or four times a week. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I
5: know what you mean there. Sometimes yep. you just
1: got to hit those comfort foods. <laughs> definitely. I, I definitely uh i'm excited to see you guys you mentioned using a lot of asian cuisine uh it works well pairing it with wild game and and i definitely appreciate that factor and i've been talking with a lot of other wild game cooks and and sort of looking and trying to i guess not preach but help a lot of listeners and and people understand like the the varied cuisines throughout the world that that often lend very, very well to like wild game. Like I've been trying to play a lot with Caribbean food. Uh, I've talked with some people about different varieties of African food because, you know, a lot of those they're utilizing local game animals and, and even local livestock that have much different flavors than what we're used to in the U S and just the, the complexity of the spices and the depth and dishes is just, just remarkable. So have you guys sort of played around with, with, uh, a lot of different cuisines from around the world or
4: uh yeah
1: i mean we try to
4: hit as many as we can um, you know we want to try to be respectful <laughs> of, of, of all these uh, uh different ethnic backgrounds and their cuisines but um you know for an example i went to africa last year no two years ago wouldn't go last year because of covid But, um, you know, and I got to try a lot of the South African and Botswanian dishes. um, And I came home and kind of did a medicine fat cake recipe for meat eater. And that that was one example. And it turned out pretty good.
1: It's actually, uh, that was on our list of of recipes to chat about. So it's a a perfect segue. Yeah. (laughs) I was... Piqued my interest. Yeah, I saw that one. That looked
3: really, really neat. Corey, you have some questions on that one? Just wanted to know more about the development and the, and the story behind it. How do you, how do you find it, and um, you know, the inspiration?
4: Um, so I was in Botswana, and I was there for a horseback riding safari. A bunch of girlfriends and I went out there to see elephants and lions on horseback. <laughs> Um, And during one lunch they they serve this, um, it's basically minced venison with a, it's curried base um, and it's served inside these fried, fried bread basically. Um, And I came home and I made it and the fat kick actually came from
5: Dutch settlers what was the 17th century? 17th century, 18th century uh, settlers there. There's a lot of influence from Europe and also colonial times. That's where we get a lot of your curry, which is we always think of curry. We think of India and, uh, you know, being part of the British Empire and stuff. All these different types of spices were moving around the world quite a bit. And uh, so it really, you know, got other countries would normally not have it, you know, becoming national dishes, you know, in themselves. And the fat cake was developed by Dutch settlers who
4: were in the bush. They didn't have a way to bake bread. And so they developed a way to fry bread. And that's how fat cakes, or it's called vetcock, came about. Um, and it's still very popular today.
1: It, it looks amazing. I'm just looking at the picture now over on Meteor. And I, I remember I remember seeing it come out, the recipe, and, oh, man. Yeah. And And like you
3: were saying – uh, when you look at the recipe list, it's it's nothing crazy. It's it's stuff that I I think most people have in their pantry and
5: oh yeah yeah mostly that and easy to get too. You know you can go to an Asian market get a lot of these you know spices and and what have you and you know all your big cities pretty much have at least an Asian market in there and also other countries too. I know there's some Indian ones here in Omaha I and mean, we're not a huge city. I mean it is the biggest city in the state, but compared to the rest of the country, it's really not. And there's Mediterranean, you know, and, and different things there. And then with the internet, I mean, you can get any spices you want nowadays. Yeah.
1: It's so true. What a, what a time we live in.
5: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: And, uh, so looking at some of your other recipes, um, I see here that, that you guys have a, a rabbit and dumplings recipe. We, too, have one. Oh, yeah. Wow, that looks great.
4: I haven't looked at your recipe yet. I guess I should pull that up.
1: I, I warn you, it's an old picture. <laughs> it's it's, uh, okay. it's one of the originals. Um,
4: we have we have those floating around too. Everybody does. <laughs>
1: It's crazy. I look back on some, and when we were talking with Hank Shaw, I was telling him about one rabbit dish that I took pictures of, and uh, it was, like, rabbit with a prickly pear barbecue sauce or something. I I don't even think it was rabbit. I think it was jackrabbit that we got out in the desert. And my wife was like, let's do something really fun with it. Let's, like, put it on a white plate and just kind of, like, splatter this stuff on there. And, like, the picture ended up looking as though I had – murdered the poor rabbit <laughs> <on
0: a plate.
1: laughs> and hank, hank was like don't worry about it you know said the same thing you guys said like we all have those but uh just like remake the dish and reshoot the picture like it's no big deal the recipe is still good
4: right right and you know i was kind of the whole you know my job this thing that we've kind of built for ourselves we we take we make recipes and we have to take pictures of them to be pub- published in you know different places and you know I'm not usually worried about how the dish will turn out because I spend a lot of time thinking about it before I actually make it but you know it's really frustrating I don't know if you have the same problem but it's really frustrating when the dish turns out right but you just can't nail the photo
1: it's just some things that no matter how delicious they are, they just you can't get them to look good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I've definitely ran into that. And I'm also happy to hear that, that you spend a lot of time thinking about food before you make it because that's what I, I was talking to. I think Corey or Will, and it's like, I probably spend three or four times as much time thinking about a dish before I actually like pull the trigger and like, all right, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to commit and make this.
2: Oh, Justin already has a recipe in mind before we even leave the house. He's like, oh, if we catch this, I'm going to make this. If we catch this, I'm going to make that. And then while we're fishing, he'll just get this far off look in his eye. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, just (laughs) just thinking about cooking. Like, how are we going to make this good? And it's always fun to see all those recipes that come from that.
4: Yeah. Like, you know, ideas kind of like we were saying before, ideas kind of just come out of nowhere sometimes. And if I don't write it down, I forget it. So I have, you know, notes in my phone. If I think of something that I want to do later, I have a list of uh, recipes that I want to hit.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way. And I was just thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to put a little, like, whiteboard because I've got one. I stole Corey's idea of, like, his organization of his freezer. He puts on a whiteboard. And I did the same thing and uh there's some extra space and i was like oh i'll write my recipes as i have them there but i'm not always in the space where the freezer is and i'm sometimes i'm out traveling or doing whatever so that's a hot tip for for those wild game cooks is a list on the phone i had never even thought about it it's (laughs) it's obvious
4: it's pretty pretty simple
1: (laughs) as obvious as it sounds (laughs) So looking at the the rabbit dumplings, it's like ours, ours look pretty similar. I think, uh, some slight variations. Ooh, you got some wine in there too. I like that. I think mine leans a little towards the cream side with the heavy cream in there, but
4: I'm, I'm lactose intolerant. So I kind uh, of, I kind of have to go light on the cream or else they probably would have added more cream.
1: (laughs) No, that's fair. I, I think it, it sounds great. Um,
5: Who's going to so, complain about having wine?
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, I think in mine though, uh, I think I ended up using a jackrabbit. If I'm looking at the pictures right, the meat looks a little dark, which is fine. It worked out well. Oh, yep, jackrabbit. I so. think
4: it kind of it kind of works with you know any rabbit really as long yeah. as you. Cook it long enough and it's tender. Right,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, gr- growing up as a kid, we, we made a lot of uh, – we'd make rooster and dumplings. So that was because you cooked them so long, that's where the rooster would end up because uh, you could stew it. And everybody swore that the rooster was much more tough and sinewy than the, than the, the regular chickens.
5: Yeah, yeah we, we had a friend that had a rooster right. that was not very nice to all the other chickens. And so <laughs> – we come home from work one day and here's this plastic bag on the porch. So <laughs> was tra- out, it was a trash bag. It was a trash bag, yeah. And uh, we open it up and here's this rooster inside. And so Jen took it and- Decapitated. <laughs> he was decapitated, but uh, not many people, you know, I think anyone come home and saw that they think it was, uh, you know, it had some meaning to it. They better be careful. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Jen went and took and made a really good dish with it.
4: <laughs> and you know what the funny thing was is that I thought the rooster tasted way gamier than any pheasant I've had. Exactly. It was so dark. It was weird.
1: I, I was just going to ask you guys because uh, I know you do a lot of upland hunting, and and I I've never I've never gone pheasant hunting. Um, kind of where I grew up in in the part of Oklahoma, it wasn't wasn't real prevalent, and I just kind of never ventured out to do it. But uh, what what's your favorite way to prepare pheasant?
4: I just did one yesterday, actually. it was was really good it's actually a recipe that's gonna come out uh, to uh, Filson food pretty soon Um, it's just a simple roasted pheasant that's my favorite way to have pheasant Um, even though it's simple it kind of takes a while to do because you know roasting a whole pheasant if it's fresh pheasants tend to be tough And they don't taste very interesting, like right off the field, at least in my opinion. And so every pheasant we take, we usually age it. And if it's one that I'm going to pluck, um, a week is good. And so after a week of aging, um, I pluck it, you know, dress it, and then I brine it. Um, That just kind of helps add moisture and flavor. And then you stick it in a hot oven, and you roast it like you would a chicken, and it comes out just beautiful.
5: You know, it's just something simple like that. Those are the kind of recipes that I like usually. Yeah, the color, of the skin was really crunchy, which I like, and uh, meat was tender, uh, more flavorful. I think going with the aging, like Jen says, that just tends to to really build up the flavor in it. From a very yeah, it's an okay type flavor to it to uh, something much better but it was real good with some roasted carrots and uh, some extra buttery mashed potatoes I was in heaven.
3: I think brining is a key too, because we we didn't have time one one day to brine the bird and we, we roasted it without brining and it just, it, you know. Yeah, doesn't it, work. Yeah, it doesn't work. I think brining, you definitely have to brine a, a pheasant.
4: Hey, you know, pheasant is one of those things where I only do on special occasions, because you can't rush it. You have to follow all the steps for it to be good at the dinner table um, for a whole pheasant anyway. But, you know, it's good as stir fry, you know, shot up birds. I just, you know, I still age it, but I only age it for about three days. And then I breast it out, take out the legs. I use the legs for something else, but the breast works as stir fry. I did a recipe for a meat eater. Um, It was pheasant pad thai, and that turned out pretty good.
1: Oh yeah, that does sound good.
3: It, we I just I think we just published it on on our site. Uh we had a a local pizza place did this like four cheese pizza and well, feta cheese um mozzarella and you know and then it had uh hot pepper jelly on it.
5: That's and, interesting. Yeah. <laughs>
3: And yeah, it doesn't sound good, but,
4: you. <laughs> but when, when yeah. you,
3: we, we did it at home. We used uh garlic naan uh for the pizza crust.
4: All oh, right. yeah, and we
3: oh, and cream cheese. We put cream cheese in the hot pepper jelly in the food processor and blended that up, put that spread that on with mozzarella, parmesan, and feta, and then um. I had braised down some pheasant legs, and picked the meat, and then we just kind of uh, threw them in the skillet to get them crispy, and put that on top. That that came out really good.
5: That sounds good. It sounds really good. Yeah, it does. I, I'm I be, in my mouth. I'm kind of like trying to bring these flavors together. I like and, that. I yeah, like it, that. For it sounds jelly. like a good idea. Yeah.
4: <laughs> it, actually, it kind of reminds me of like one early recipe that we did with pheasant. We did a something similar. We did. Uh, barbecue pheasant pizza you know instead of barbecue chicken pizza Mm -hmm. kind of a california thing that sounds good
1: yep and that turned out really good Uh, i was gonna ask oh uh the brine so what's your your go-to on the brine uh do you add any other spices and stuff in uh with the salt
4: um i used to but i don't anymore because i just think it's too short of a time to really get anything out of the spices, I mean, I've done it. I just don't feel like it comes through after mm-hmm. six or eight hours of brining, and so I just skip it. You know, if I want to add those flavors, I add it in during the cooking. Um, but our brine is basically four cups of water, to quarter cup of kosher salt, and a quarter cup of brown sugar, um, and that's basically it.
1: Okay. I, I like it. Yeah, I, I've always been very um, curious as, as to how far some flavors are imparted in the brines. You know, people get very complex with their brines. Uh, you know, I, I've yeah. done it myself. I've, I've, I've brined like whole pigs in, you know, lemongrass and, and garlic and stuff like that. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, wait, you can't really taste these yeah. flavors. Here. We went through all this effort.
4: Exactly, and so it's better if you want to add those flavors. It, it's better to make a marinade or you know add it in some other way mm-hmm. later in the cooking process.
1: Yep, yeah. that definitely answered my question on that. So, um, speaking of California things, the uh, and leaning towards. Uh, Latin food and Mexican food, the, the beer is stew. I see we have the – you guys have two recipes, a uh, venison one and a turkey one.
4: Yes. Uh, the and turkey my- one was just me trying to get rid of a turkey in my freezer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the venison is what – is the one I actually like a lot better.
1: Um, so why, why do you like it over, over the other –
4: I just feel like venison, if you use the right cut, it just has, you know, you want a cut that has a lot of silver skin in it. So I would use the neck or the shoulder or even shank. But with turkeys, they're kind of stringy, you know, they don't have a lot of silver skin and they're tough. And you cook it and, you know, it, it'll it'll come up tender, but I just, it, you know, you just don't get that. I don't know that the succulents that you would with like a venison neck or a shank or a shoulder. You know, I find, I personally find Turkey stringy. <laughs> that's just, that's just my, uh, you know, personal thought on that.
1: I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm not the biggest Turkey fan. Like that never yeah. really, never really have been. And that's probably, I think probably why I haven't pursued hunting them more. Um, just because like, You know, I I don't know, maybe it's due to the way I've eaten it over time, but it's just, I don't know. I I just don't
5: think it tastes very interesting. (laughs) It's just me. And I I think, too, like Jen says, the birria, that is, um, any of your ungulates, you know, elk, deer, I think, uh, you know, I'm putting in again every year for pronghorn here in Nebraska. Hopefully this year I'll get picked uh, to go. But um, any of those, I think even bear would be good in it. It's, it's a dish that I think that could Ooh. lend itself to a lot of different things. So, yeah, when you guys are talking about bear, and that might be something you might want to give a try. Oh, bear yeah.
1: would be fantastic. Yeah, it would be yeah, I, oh, man. I'm thinking about all the flavors and stuff and just the, the moisture that you would find in the bear naturally and how that would come through. Oh, yeah. Yep.
4: Yeah, and it's a, it's a recipe that you can basically put any meat in there that you want. And it'll, it'll work out. <laughs> you know, um, with that said, though, going back to turkey, the only way that I've actually really liked turkey is if it's ground. Ground turkey meat is awesome. Wild ground turkey meat. Have you ever tried that?
1: I I, I, have, I have not tried ground turkey. Um, it, it, No, actually, no. Yeah, Corey had, yeah, had, we I, uh, yeah I'm going to give it a try. Corey, I know you, you eat a good amount of turkey as well. Have you tried it? Never, never have ground wild turkey before. Yep. I always feel
3: there's not enough to, because my, my head always goes to grinding up a deer. So you have like 20, 30 pounds to do, And I never feel like a turkey is enough to, to justify pulling out the grinder.
5: It's something maybe if you're going to grind it at the time you're going to make a dish, you're not going to have as much meat or anything like that. Um, we do have a small grinder, too, that goes onto to a KitchenAid. So for small stuff like that, Jen oh, yeah. just pops it into that. We do have a heavy-duty commercial grinder, too. Yeah, and it's a pain in the butt to pull out. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I have I one to say. I got, we got one from the, the company Meat, and this thing's, like, massive – I had to just keep it upstairs because I tried to lug it up and down the stairs each time, and almost pulled my
5: back. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I read exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But we got a a Weston.
1: Yeah, they they rip. They rip through meat. It's just man. There's, I don't think there's a way to make them lighter though.
5: No, no, that's very true. They can really get you know through the meat like you say. I just always wondered, gosh. Not like they do a whole buffalo, but obviously all the cuts of meat are big. And and to just to get out and spend like an afternoon just doing a lot of grinding and what have you, I think this I know the one we had would just eat it all up. It was, it's, it's really is good.
1: So as far as, uh, Corey, I think you had a question about the stew.
3: Yeah. Well, I I think they, they answered my question about, you know, using waterfowl or upland. You can use pretty much anything, but sounds like the, uh, the venison is is the the better choice for the cuts.
4: You know, I if you're going to do venison or I mean, it'll work out either way, but I like to use either the shank or the shoulder because you got that bone there. Um if we shoot a small enough deer, I just I just keep that shoulder intact and just put the whole thing in the pot, you know, see so you, you got that bone to kind of flavor that broth yeah. a little bit. You no, know, instead of just putting stew meat in
1: there, I do like that. I'm, I, I found the more I get into it making soups and stews, the more I prefer using like a larger cut of meat versus like breaking the meat down into into stew chunks. I guess
4: Wait, I don't even bother with that.
1: <laughs> I think you get so much more. You get so much more, of, uh, you know, from the sinew and the silver skin and all the right. other things. Like they impart some great flavors that oh, yeah. are otherwise going to get trimmed away.
4: Yep. We do very little trimming, actually, on stew meat or, or meat that we'll, we'll braise. Um, we'll probably remove a little bit of the fat, you know, depending on how it tastes. But all of that sinew and silver skin, we just keep it all there. We don't even bother removing it, and you know when you're freezing deer or anything, mm-hmm. you know we don't just keep that silver skin on and then decide what you do later because that silver skin is going to help insulate that meat from freezer burn. Yeah, a little more as protective well.
5: layer. Yep,
1: yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And so, do you guys? Uh, here's a big question: vacuum seal, butcher paper, like how do you how do you prep your meat for the freezer?
4: vacuum seal definitely it's just we found it's the easiest fastest way to do it and you know as long as it's a good seal we've had we've had meat in the freezer for like three years and it's still good (laughs) (laughs) you you don't want to wait that long but sometimes it happens
1: yeah sometimes that piece like sneaks down into the very very bottom and it's like uh uh-oh no, I, I feel you on that. Yeah, I'm 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 the same. I'm a, a vacuum seal guy. Uh Will, what about you? I,
2: I'm definitely a vacuum seal guy, but I did the butcher paper for so long. I mean, just there's because nothing wrong with it. There's w- a
1: reason it's called butcher paper.
2: I was just poor in college and couldn't afford a vacuum sealer, <laughs> so that was a thing for the rich.
1: <laughs> Corey, what about you?
3: I uh, vacuum sealer. Yeah, I've I've put mine through. It's 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 been a workhorse past few years. So although I I trim my silver skin off because a lot of times my wife is getting things prepped before I get home, and so I don't. She's not real up on you know butchering more than she has to. So I'll I'll get everything prepped and ready, and and then vacuum it, seal it, and so she can just pull it out thought and do what she needs to do
1: now Corey, were you on uh when we were talking with john wallace i was not no so he he mentioned he takes some of like his select cuts and he'll write what he's going to make on the top of it on the packaging i was just wondering if you do the do something similar but
3: uh no i just you know what the cut is a lot of times i do the same things every year with with the certain cuts, like the ball roast out of the, the hindquarters of of the deer, I know I'm going to make pastrami out of them. So I'll get, you know, once hunting season's done, you know, I get a couple deer and I'll make a big, big batch of pastrami. But uh, I don't, I don't, I don't have the forethought to, to do that.
5: Same, I the same here. It's like, hey, what, what are you going to make? I don't know, just get a piece of meat and, you know, <laughs> or what pops into our head? You know, yeah. it's like, exactly. oh yeah, we could right. do that with this. I think we have
1: that cut and we'll just grab it. I think it's, it's a really great idea, uh, that he has. And I think he just reserves like the special cuts that way it's not grabbed mistakenly, you know, just tossed on the grill or whatever. If he wants to have sort of, we'll call like a prime cut. Um, and I definitely understand the rationale behind it, but it, I'm, I'm definitely like you guys and I, it tends to just, uh, it goes on the list and then, when it comes time for a recipe, I just pull the meat and whatever it goes to, it goes to.
4: <laughs> I mean, what, one thing that I might kind of put a star next to is um, maybe like the center cut of the back strap. You know, if I'm having people over, I want something that's, that would make a really good presentation. So I want something more uniform. So I'll put a little star in that one to save, you know, for special occasions, but that's about it. <laughs>
1: That's fair. Yeah, that's a that's a good one too. Um, so, we've we've talked a lot about really good recipes. Have you ever had a situation where things have just gone wrong and it just didn't work out? Um. Yes, I can't think
5: of anything <laughs> in the top of my head. Just get uh, it under the rug and uh, move on. Yeah, usually yeah. those things I like to forget. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's fair. I I, I, ask, I think that this topic found its way in. So we recently did a uh, a, a kitchen failures episode, which which will be uh, coming out before this episode. And uh, yeah, I had to like scratch my head and think. And I'm like, man, like yes, I've definitely made mistakes. I'm not perfect, but. Uh, do a one do I want to remember them and two do I want everybody <laughs> to know <laughs> right but uh, our, our intention was of sort of uh, what changes or what things that kind of that learning teaching moment that we could pass on to people but um I don't know do you have any any good like go-to tips that you would you would give the
5: aspiring wild game cook? um go-to tips other than braising don't cook too long especially if you're over you know i don't know live fire or something like that we like to give things a really good crust and and uh you know for not very long because you can overcook wild game so easily Mm -hmm. and that's one of the big things that we're always trying to you know impress upon people is, you know, because you always get these comments, oh, it's leathery, you know, or it's tough, you know, there's this, this and that, and most likely because someone overcooked it. And um, so kind of stop that cycle kind of thing and yeah. uh, get people to, to cook it much less time than what they would with uh, domestic meats.
4: Well, it's just, you know, I, with Wild Game, I live by two hard and fast rules. That's if you're going to eat it at steak, cook it hot and fast. If you're gonna if you want it tender, um and it's a cut that you can't eat at steak, then you have to braise it and you have to provide plenty of moisture. There's really no middle ground with wild game, at least that I've noticed. You know, you can't eat something uh even medium or medium well with wild game, or else it just gets too dry.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Outside of, I think have you guys played around much with the sous vide? No, um, we haven't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
5: not saying anything. <laughs>
2: uh, we, we, I, I, just,
4: I just haven't uh, had a good reason to get one just yet. Um, if we get a bear, then I might get one because of, you know, trichinosis, trichinosis or, or even a wild hog. Um, because of trichinosis, but other than that, you know, I'm pretty happy with, you know, I can cook a a steak medium rare without the sous vide, so I'm good with that.
1: I like it. I I actually, I very much appreciate that answer. Like, it's very straightforward, so um, yeah, we've played around with it. Uh, you know, we, we featured some videos, uh, from some of our, our friends that have done work with them. I, I have one, I've, I've used it. Um, I, am still on the fence if it's the be all end all, like it's, it's a cool tool in the repertoire, but I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's completely necessary.
5: I think it's kind of right what you said there. It is a tool.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, the CV sits next to the slow cooker you know, sits next to the, I can't think of anything else. Your Look.
2: meat grinder next to your freezer next to, yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> all that's, that stuff. That's literally yeah. where it sits, but you know, <laughs> <figuratively laughs> literally,
1: all the tools, right? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's another tool. And I think, uh, diversity is sometimes a key. If you want to play around, play around. If, if you like what you like and you've perfected it, there's no need to change.
4: Right. I don't know. To me, there's something about just knowing how a certain piece of meat is going to react to heat, Mm -hmm. And it takes time to develop that knowledge and that feel, um, you know, for when a meat's going to come out medium rare. You know, that's not knowledge that you can just get right away. It took years for me to develop that. Um, and I'm kind of proud of it. So, <laughs> why throw in a sous vide machine? And sometimes I screw up. You know, I do. You know, the sous vide kind of takes, kind of takes a uh, margin of error out. Mm-hmm. But th- so, the challenge for me in cooking and the fun for me in cooking is just seeing if I can, you know, get it perfect every single time, which I can't. But I constantly strive for it.
1: It's a it's a good thing to work towards for sure. So what's, uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you?
4: Um, Instagram is
1: probably the best
4: way. It's just handle at foodforhunters. Our website is foodforhunters.com.
5: And, and Facebook, guess what it is? We try to keep it easy
1: (laughs) I like it I'm seeing a pattern of consistency here (laughs) There
4: you go That's the key and good cooking Consistency
1: (laughs) Right, that's key Uh, So we do go around And sort of uh, We ask everybody for their last thought Or any misfires or alibis that you may have So being that you guys are guests On the podcast
5: uh, Please if you have a, a last comment Or last note Please feel free to share just get out there and cook. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. That's how you learn. And, uh, you know, if you, you try to open your mind, and again, like we'll see pictures sometimes, it's like, oh, that would be great with uh, grouse, you know, or, or with venison or something like that, and, and be creative. And, you know, nobody's going to make the perfect dish every time. But, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting out there and just trying it, doing it. You know, I meet a
4: lot of people Who are just so terrified of cooking or messing up? You know, I'm like, who cares? If you mess up, go out and get a hamburger. It's you know, it's it's not a big deal. Just you just do it, and uh, if it turns out great, you learn something, and if it didn't, you know, try again.
1: I think that's yeah. I like it. I like that. If you mess up, go out and get a hamburger. (laughs)
5: It's not the the 17th century. Exactly. You're not going to starve or anything like that. But, um, you know, we like to see people get out there. and, And it's good to see they're starting to do this stuff. I mean, this whole movement, you know, with wild game and everything is just building up so much steam. And it's good to see people just, you know, out of from right field coming up with, look at this dish that I did kind of thing. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. It's just good to see stuff like
1: that, and, and I think that platforms, you know, like Instagram and and social media, that are very like photo focused, that people are starting to care about presentation too, exactly. Yeah. And and that that's exciting. I'm excited to see, you know, where this is going to evolve the the popularity and the growth of it five years from now. I, I hope that it continues to grow in in a very much positive way. I agree also. All right, Corey, last thought for us. I just
3: want to thank Jen and Rick for coming on. You know, it's always great to talk to Wild Game Cooks and, and learn some stuff. And, you know, I think we all – we each learn from each other, and it, it seems like a pretty close-knit community. So it's great to, to talk to you.
5: Thank you for having us. Well. Last thought?
2: Just going to kind of echo what Corey said. Thank you all for coming on. It's always good to uh, hear uh, a different perspective. And, man, when Justin's like, what went wrong? And you're like, oh, we can't remember any. I'm like, listen, this one, this one, this one, this <laughs> one. In my head, I once tried to make uh, hamburgers one time out of Vincent. Went a little too lean. And then I had ground beef just all over my grill that I had to pick out for, like, two hours. Ooh. So. Oh, no. But you're totally right with just go out and get a hamburger. I mean, you got to try it. you got to kind of push the boundaries. The only thing is don't do that when people are over. Maybe like I like what you said earlier, Jen, about you starring that cut of meat, you know, when you have people over. Because I got a little too adventurous one time when I had guests coming over and uh, we ended up going to get Chinese food. So uh, (laughs) know your limits. So I really appreciate uh, y'all coming on and hearing your opinions and uh, some really cool recipes
1: thanks
4: for yeah. having us on it was a pleasure speaking with you all
1: yeah 100 it was a good conversation and um definitely you got some great recipes i'm gonna i think that the venison fat cakes definitely move towards the top of my list i'm gonna have to give that one a go and the uh the BRS stew is hopefully fingers crossed first step drawing bear tag second step hunting bears third step cooking bears so hopefully it, it falls in line as step number four um about the shooting a bear part though oh yeah well, right. i guess not, step- not missing yeah <laughs> well given my track record last season no promises on that <laughs> <laughs> so um well like every cory and will said thanks guys for coming on it, it was it was very much uh a great conversation, and I appreciate you guys taking the time to come out. Um, for our listeners out there, uh, thanks for listening, as always. And all these delicious recipes will be linked in our show notes down below. And you can head over to social media and check out Food for Hunters. And then once you're done checking out Food for Hunters on whatever social media platform you're on, make sure you're following Harvest in Nature too. Got some good stuff going on. And then uh, after that, you still got some extra time. Go ahead and smash that five-star button on your podcast platform. Leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing wrong or tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.